0: Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osman, here with my friend in Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our doc today, Masachet Shkalim, bet, page two. Well, we're on to a new Masachet, and we want to thank everybody who joined us yesterday for our Seum on Masachet Psachim, well, actually two days ago. It really was a lovely Seum with some great words of Torah from some of our co-learners, a beautiful poem, a discussion about the relationship between sci-fi and demonology, And also, it was just great to see everybody that we have really gotten to know over this past year. And it's hard to believe that yet again, we are embarking on another masachet. Um, Today, we're going to start with masachet shkalim, which actually is only 22 pages. So as we mentioned at the CM, we will, God willing, be hosting another CM on April 11th. So people should already start thinking about what they want to share when we have that CM. Usually, we give ourselves about three weeks to announce a CM. So I guess for this one, we just have to do it at the start of the masachat itself. Um, and uh, overall, we just, again, we are so grateful and pleased to continue to learn with everybody and uh, looking forward to see what we uncover together in masachat shkalim.
1: Thanks, I, I We want to talk a little bit, I think, about what makes shkalim so different, right? Yeah, because so it really I'm gonna, is very different. Yeah, I'm going to go start with that.
0: So Shkalim is really very different because it's actually a masachid, it's a tractate of Yerushalmi. So as many of you know, there really were two versions of the Talmud. There were the Amurayim, let's say, that were more Israel-centric, and that's the Talmud uh, Yerushalmi. And then we have the Talmud Bavli, which, you know, came from Babel, obviously. Um, and traditionally, the Yomi cycle is learning the Talmud Bavli. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll do another time, we'll do an interesting Sheer over a lot of the differences between the Talmud Bavli and the Talmud Yerushalmi. But the one masachat that is printed with the Talmud Bavli that's actually Yerushalmi is masachat Shkalim. And so when you look in sort of the Vilna edition of the Talmud, of the Talmud Bavli, and again, that's also a whole other discussion the history of the printing of the Talmud itself, they always included, uh, or very often would include this masachat of Shkalim. And the question is why? right? Why do we not have Yerushalmi anywhere else, um, but only for this particular Masachat? So if you look at um, the Seder of Moed, right, we know that there are six Seder and six sort of overall sections of Mishnah, right? And we talked about that Brachot um, only has uh, Talmud Bavli just on, well, Brachot is from Zraim and only has Talmud Bavli on Brachot, not in any of the other Masachatot, although there is Yerushalmi on the other Masachatot. For Moed, there is something about all the other, there's Bavli and all the other Masakhtot except for Shkalim. So it may be that one of the reasons why this was included in printings of the Talmud Bavli is this sort of rounded out the entire Seder. So you had every tractate, every masachet of Seder Moed is covered, but you had to do that by including for masachet shkalim you know, from the Yerushalmi. The bigger question is, though, is that when Dafyomi began, right? We know with Rav Meir Shapira, why did he include Shkallam into the Dafyomi cycle itself? Um, and in other words, you could have just skipped it because it's Yerushalmi and it's not Bavli. And so some people posit exactly what we said before, that this was really just a way of sort of finishing up the entire uh, Seder of Moed itself. Um, and we see this also that even in the Seder of Kudshim, right, in the Dafyomi cycle, there are two tractates that also have no Talmud Babli, and that is for Kinim and Midos. And they're also included just the Mishnayos themselves um, on in, this, in the Dafyomi cycle. So maybe here, he, you know, Rav Shapira sort of stuck in uh, the Yerushalmi itself. Um, and, you know, one, of, one idea that I saw suggested is, you know, why specifically Shkulem, you um, Midos and Kinim are sort of included as either Talmud, Yerushalmi Yir- or as Mishnahs because we know there are other Masakhtot um, of Mishnah, right? So in Nizikin, for example, we have the Masakhtot of Perkayavos, which many of you are familiar with and also Ejot and the, that actually doesn't have, it's not included in the Dafiyomi cycle, the Mishnah. It has no Bavli on it, but it also doesn't have, um, uh, it's, even the Mishnah is not included in the Dafiyomi cycle. Um, so it may be that these particular, you know, uh, Shkalim, and also the Mishnah of uh, Kenim and Midos actually have to do with the temple itself, and maybe there's something very nice about studying about the temple or about the Beit HaMikdash itself. Um, another thing that's interesting here is that the pagination of the Yerushalmi really varies um, from printed edition to printed edition. So some of the things that you're going to notice is, first of all, there's no Tosfos and Rashi. There's going to be a totally different set of commentators, um, if, and I know many of our uh, co-learners like to use Safaria, um, you actually have to look. It will not be in the Talmud Bavli. The What we're going to be learning is in the Yerushalmi tab up top. So make sure, so you can find it, but it doesn't go in the order. It's in a totally different section of Safaria. Um, and you're really going to, you know, hear about many different Amurayim. But the pagination is very interesting. And actually, uh, one of the things when I was uh, prepping this is that, you know, in some printed editions, um, it's 22 pages, in some it's 13, in some it's 33, and that actually um, the um, Dath-Yomi cycle was changed to be specifically a 20, you know, to follow the 22 uh, Daph version of Shqalim, um, because that's the one that's in the Vilna edition of the Talmud, and probably Uh, the most commonly studied one. And so what that did was, was that before many, the cycle was using actually the 13 day one. And so it actually lengthened the Dafyomi cycle from 2,702 days to 2,711 days. So that's just an interesting piece also about the history of Dafyomi. So that's really just some general things that I wanted to discuss about the fact that it's a Yerushalmi Masachat. And again, I think you're going to see it has a much different style than the Bavli does. Um, I'm going to hand it over to you, Anne, to talk about actual, some words of uh, introduction to the content of Masachet Shkalim itself.
1: Well, I'm going to throw a new wrinkle into this whole mess of, you know, what is this Yerushalmi business doing here in the Bavli? I mean, in the Dafyomi that follows the Bavli. But here we also have a Masachet Shkalim. they really, in terms of content, belongs in the Seder of Mishnah, of Kudshim or Kodashim, as, as is more correct to say, I suppose. Um, meaning that is the section of Mishnah that deals with karbanot and with everything pertaining to the Beit HaMikdash. Shkalim, for all that it's in Seder Moed, which is usually considered to be about the holidays, right? As you know, we've been talking about Shabbat, Psachim, and we'll go on to do Yoma, Rosh Hashanah, and so on. Um, ishkalim should be with the, the discussions of the temple, it's included here, at least the theory is that it's included here, perhaps because there really was, and we'll see this as soon as we get to the Mishnah and the Gemara on this first staff, Um there was a time set to to collect the ishkalim. This is, um, I suppose, it's like the census, right? We knew that they took the census via the collection of a of a shekel, of a half shekel, Right. And then, of course, really, what that is is kind of a tax to make sure that the upkeep of the Beta HaMikdash could happen. Right. There was a whole slew of things that needed to be funded for the Beta HaMikdash. And the temple doesn't have any uh, what it doesn't have, like, a marketing system. It doesn't have any, any product that it sells, really. Right. So it's it it takes in its funds, uh, some as a collection from the whole population. Right. Um, Among other things. Right. And then the question is, of course, what are all these things used for? And this is going to be some of what we're going to talk about. Right. The there are eight chapters here. We're uh, embarking on eight chapters in our 22 pages. So some of the are long, but the ground we cover is kind of I I would say we cover it kind of rapidly. Um, And just the one other thing I guess I wanted to say before we get into the actual text is that the machatzita shekel, right, this mitzvah of con- conveying to the Beit HaMikdash a half a shekel, which is the census, right? Again, it was the money that was used in the construction of the mishkan, of the tabernacle. It's all found in Sefer Shemot, Perk Lamed, the 30th chapter of Exodus, right? And, and that was, you know, it was necessary to get it all going. And then um, we know that when the Beit HaMikdash, the second Beit HaMikdash was built, they again started up the collection, and that is, discussion takes place in Sefer Nekemiah. Meaning, how how can you have funds? And I suppose the modern version is the is the joke of how there's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be an appeal. Um, and but but it was necessary because otherwise, again, how would all these things be funded? So just a little bit of the overview on the chapters. We're going to open up discussing, discussing specifically the month of Adar. And, you know, Yerdina, I really love your father's, love Hashal, you know, his Nisei Mistar of the the way Pesachim leads up right into Pesach and so on. And we see this, we caught them so often over our learning. But this time I feel like we kind of missed it because Adar has already come and gone, right? Here we are in Nisan. And all of all of this, all of the Shkalim is really about, you know, events that were taking place in the month of Adar in terms of the collection. We can tolerate it. I'm just saying. It, it was amusing to me that Psachim that is leading us to Pesach, but Adar is the subject of Shkalim and it would have come first. Um, okay, and then the question is, of course, how do you collect the money? Um, where do you store the money? What if you need the money from that place where you store it? Um, what happens with the coins? We're withdrawn from the treasury. There's a treasury chamber in the Beta McDash. What do you do with any extra money? Um, Let's see. There's a certain amount of organizing, which we're going to get to in chapter five, parquet, in terms of what is used for what and who does what. Um, And then chapter six, we've got collection baskets, which I kind of love the idea of. Um, And there's a whole discussion of how that's organized. It's not so I I want to say it's not so simple. It's not that it's not so simple. It's once you know what it is, it's very simple. Um and then what happens if you have any questions? This of course is a you know, what happens if you a question of what the what the funds are, what if they got combined, what's supposed to be designated for what? You know, the same kind of questions that can creep into any halachic discussion, I would suppose. Um and um and from there we actually move on to you know, I guess more other areas of halacha, the question of when you have a suffolk, when you have questions of uncertainty, and how do you handle them? So, that's our very brief overview. Uh, again, Masachet Kalim is about funding. Funds, funding, accounting, taxes. Basically, um, if you're a junkie, maybe, if you're a junkie
0: for the economics of the temple, you're going to love this Masachet.
1: That's for sure true. If you're not, <laughs> you know, like the fact is, I think that for for all that maybe we aren't all junkies for the economics of the temple, there's also I think a a good deal of explanation that is provided here that I don't think that it will see. But and I know that some people have found it to be particularly um, mind boggling. But whatever, I don't want to. I wanna I don't want to daunt anybody. I think that I think that we're going to encounter uh, a new arena of halacha in in this masachet. In a way that I think and hope will, you know, once we're once we're in the meat of it, it will become a easier and be hopefully exciting. you Dana. I turn yep. it over so to you. So let's get
0: started. Uh, the first Mishnah. So on the first of Adar, right? The basically the in would come and would sort of Mashmeen proclaims proclaims uh, that it's time to basically contribute uh, the half shekel contribution. Now, one thing that I want to make clear to everybody is that you know, we give a half a shekel, right? And I'm sure many of the commentaries that you're using or, or books that you're using will explain what exactly that measurement is. But it's interesting, the mission never calls it, uh, you know, machatzid has shekel or the half shekel. They just refer to it as shekelim or the shekel itself. So it's not a full shekel. This is referring to the half shekel, but just know that this is sort of the terminology that gets used here. So they make, so the court proclaims that it's time to collect the, the, the shekel, right? That this yearly half shekel contribution that is made to the temple by every adult male, uh, that again allows everyone to have sort of the community of of males at least are you know sort of contributing to the um, buying of communal uh, sacrifices and also to the an announcement is made about the keiliam that in other words if somehow you had keiliam in your fields right which we know is that dif- you know crops can't be planted together you can't mix. Uh, different seeds together, that it was time for you to uproot them and make sure that they weren't planted together. Ubam on the fifteenth of Adar, bo karina ba Right, so on the fifteenth, they would read the Megillah in the walled uh, in the walled cities. Right, so many of us knows that you know uh, most of us read the Megillah on the fourteenth, um, but if you lived in a walled city, which Anne has the zuchut has the merit. Of living in Yerushalayim, which was a walled city in the times of uh, Joshua, of Yoshua, she reads it on the 15th. And also at this time, after the 15th, they would start to repair roads. On the 15th, they would repair all the roads that were damaged in the winter, um, the streets and the cisterns. And they would basically do anything that they needed to do for the public welfare. They also would mark the Jewish gravesite. So the Gemara will explain later what that was about. But essentially, that you know, after all of the rains that would happen in the winter, particularly if there was you know very very uh, heavy rains, and the Gemara will even talk about what happens you know if there's bad rain after the fifteenth of Adar. Um, that, you know, they would want to mark the graves again. And again, we know that that's because, you know, issues around tumantara of acquiring Tumat are very important in the Jewish in, in halakha. And so we need to make sure that graves are marked actually very well. So all of these things that have to do sort of with public welfare, they have to do with also why was this sun on the 15th of Adar? Because you're a month away from Nisan, from Pesach. And you want to make sure that all the pilgrims who were coming up to Rushalayim as we so beautifully heard about in our study of Masakh Pesachim, that the roads were, were cleaned up, uh, that they knew where graves were going to be so there wouldn't be a problem that somebody would become tummy accidentally, that the cisterns were, you know, ready to be used to, you know, that the water, they could get the water that was out of them. And then finally, the last thing that happened on the 15th was Biyotzin al that the, uh, you know, sort of like uh, emissaries, agents from the Bezdin, would actually go out to the fields and they would actually look to see if farmers had kilayim um, after that proclamation was made on the first of, of Adar, um, and then they would actually up, up you know they would actually uh, uproot them themselves. And I'll just do the very beginning part of the Gemara here, and then Anne, you're going to do a little bit more of the Gemara here, right? So the question is, why is this done in the first of Adar? So the reason for that was why was it the first of Adar so that all the Jews would bring their shekels in to the temple itself in in its correct time and then they would have a collection of all of this basically in the treasury of the Beit Hamikdash in the in the temp in the chamber that's the lishka and then they would sort of withdraw from it when they needed to start buying the communal. Corbanos for Pesach on the, on the first of Nisan. And that's really, we know that that's kind of the beginning of the temple calendar year um, is the first of Nisan. Um, so that the first time they would start to purchase communal korbanos with the new money for the upcoming uh, year. Again, the year being starting at the first of Nisan. So that's why they would start collecting the first of Adar. So there would be like a month uh, for this to be, um, uh, for this to come in. Um, and then the Gemara goes on and is going to explain a little bit, you know, how do they get, why do they know that we count the, sh- you know, that the new year for the temple uh, starts in uh, starts in Nisan itself. Um, and so that's really our first Mishnah here. And it's interesting that it doesn't, you know, really get into like, how do we know the mitzvah, what pasuk is the mitzvah from or anything like that. Um, but it's really just more giving us sort of a, uh, you know, I almost would say it's just sort of telling us what are the important dates uh, for sort of communal welfare um, in the country itself, everywhere from giving the machatzid has shekel, giving this half shekel, to how did they make sure that the pub- public thoroughfares were taken care of. And this really is just sort of put in a context of, you know, uh, what needed to happen in our calendar year. And these are sort of the things that happen so that our chagim can happen
1: correctly. So I'm struck by the fact that we've made this observation before. I imagine we will make it again that the Mishnah, the, mishna, the first Mishnah of the Numa Masechet doesn't provide us with the kind of organized introduction that we might hope for, right? You can find introductions to Masachet Shkalim, but not in the Mishnah, right? It just jumps right in. And the Gemara that I want to talk about here is also is part of that jumping right in, because for all that this is about Shkalim, it also... Discusses a quote the the halachas basically of when Megillat Esther is going to be read. Vav, Bo, Korina and Megillah on the fifteenth, you they would read the Megillah in the walled cities, right, or in the cities really beKorachim. So yes, nowadays we talk about that as you know we discuss the walled cities, and really everything that we know about this is. Maybe that's not fair to say, but really, you know, the the bulk of what we know about it, certainly, certainly what I know about it is learned out in the Bavli on Masakha Megillah. So here we're going to find a different read, you know, the same discussion of reading on the 14th and the 15th. Uh, I should just mention, we're going to get to this, and Masakha Megillah is coming, it's not that far away. Um, really, but it basically opens the first mission. There says we read the Megillah on Yud Aleph on the 11th, on the 12th, on the 13th, on the 14th, and on the 15th. And then the f- first Da or two discusses exactly how that could possibly be that we could read, we could end up reading Megillat Esther on any one of those days from the 11th to the 15th. So here, but Book we're read to Megillah in the in the cities we should read on the or the mission says we they would read on the 15th. Lo-kein amat Rabbi Chalbo. says, one second, how can that be? We know that Rabbi Chalbo said, quoting Rav Huna, uh, Rav Huna Rav Rabbi Chia, Raba. Now, what you'll notice here is that it's um, choppier. It's just the language here in the Yerushalmi is, I don't know if it's across the board, but it, you know, as a general principle, I would say that it is inherently choppier than the Bavli, in part because the Bavli became the authoritative Talmudic text, and that meant that it, it saw more niceties, it saw more revision, it saw, you know, to put it into place and everything like that, but also the, you know, the state of being for the Jews in Babel, in Babylonia, was just simply much more at peace in terms of their scholarship. They had the wherewithal and means to do it, whereas in Israel there was much more upheaval, you know, under First under the Romans, and then even as after the you know this is long after the destruction of the temple, but and the what the chazal are like living in the Galilee, you know, and and moving around a bit. It's not quite the same thing as what we know about the formal yeshivot in Bavel. Um, we, I'm sure, will t- discuss this much further as we go on. But I just want to note, even in the even in the recounting of names, there are fewer connector words. Hakol <laughs> asar so according to this view, the position is that everybody reads on the 14th because that is the time to read the Megillah stare. And the position here seems to be that that is true for everybody, that everybody, no matter where you were, you would read on the 14th. So then what is this Gemara doing here? Why do you bother to tell us that the Krakhin would read on the 15th if everybody reads on the 14th? So the Gemara says, well, what the Gemara is not talking about, the reading, the correct time to read the Megillah, really is coming to teach that all of the mitzvot that you do um, in Adar Bet are not done, that we don't do them in Adar Alf. Um, Again, when we have a leap year, uh, the Jewish calendar, we have a whole leap month, not just a leap day. And the addition is not the second Adar, but the first Adar, because the real goal is to get Nisan to be in the springtime right? That's, you know, you, you kind of know that a leap year is coming when everything falls a little bit too cold, a little bit too much in the winter, because Pesach, there's a verse that says Pesach should be Aviv, it should be in the spring, so the calendar is rigged to add in an, a, a full month of Adar, but it's going to be a preliminary month of Adar, to bring Nisan into the spring. I believe this is going to happen next year, actually. Okay, the Gemara goes on. Rabbi Yosi, Rabbi Acha, Havun Yatvin, so Rabbi Yossi says as follows. The fact that everybody would fulfill their obligation on the 14th, meaning everybody's reading the Megillah on the 14th, that makes sense. You know, only after the fact, what happens if you didn't read it on the 15th? Which means that the claim here is that the people who lived in the wall city would read on the 14th, but um they they wouldn't read on the fourteenth um, necessarily you know in an ideal fashion but that if they did it then they would be they would be yote they would fulfill their obligation that says on the fourteenth you um they how do I explain this the the Latin I'm looking here says abinitio right this is not the ideal vahatani makom so then there's another question which is raised. Isn't it taught in the brighter Then the place where they're accustomed to read on two days, namely on Yodal and on Tetvav? So then don't they just read on Tedvav on Yodan and Tetvav? So what I'm now taking it back to Yavyosi's statement that says if they were reading on the 14th and everybody's reading on the 14th, that only makes sense to say after the fact, right? If they if somebody who was supposed to read on the 15th didn't, right? then you could fulfill your obligation on the 14th. But now, if you take it forward to Rav Acha's objection to Reb Yossi, they were supposed to read on two for two days, according to him. right? So then the idea is that then the Megillah would be read also on the 14th and also on the 15th. And then you're not talking about uh, an after-the-fact, unfortunate situation where you didn't do it in the ideal way. And Reb Yossi concludes here, he says, Uf, I also hold like that, I also agree that the people who live in a walled city should read on the f- 15th, even if they've already read on the 14th. Now, this is all a little bit complicated and a jumble in my mind because I'm so accustomed to the basic principles that I have learned the Masakha Megillah in the Talmud Bavli. Um, and then I'm going to stop here. But basically, it does go on to, you know, elaborate on Rabbi Khabel's position in terms of... Um, You know, is there really a contradiction here if you read on the 14th and you want to read again on the 15th? Is that a problem? Which, again, is not necessarily how we poskin. I think that we should draw the distinction here that um, when it comes to the familiar topics, I'm not sure that Masachet Shkalim is going to be um, a guide for halacha in terms of things like Megillah that we already know. from Exactly.
0: And I think what's interesting here is to see, you know, they know that Perm is on the 14th. But when you have it, it's you know, this is really the only holiday where we sort of have I'm not talking about Yom Tov Shani but sort of the inherent structure of the holiday itself is that it's celebrated differently based on location. And that's like almost not a very Jewish way to do things at all. We don't usually make separations amongst people that way. And so, you know, I think they are asking sort of the existential question about Perm, which is you live in a walled city, but let's say you just wanted to do it on the 14th. What happens to you? Are we really going to say you didn't do something or you didn't fulfill your, your obligation. And I think that's really what they're trying to get at. Like, what is it? What is what is the significance of the 14th of Adar for those who are living in the walled city, uh, you know, and who should have been celebrating Purim on the 15th? And I don't think they could. You know, it's different than other things where it says, like, you brought a korban too early or did something else too early. They can't really say that here because, like, the 14th still has in itself, in it, 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 not even like it. it it, they acknowledge there's an inherent significance to it. Um, and and so it's a little bit, you know, different than let's say other questions about the calendar of doing things when you didn't do them in the right time.
1: I would also just note that there, there feels like there's a fluidity here, right there. As we, as we said in Psalm, right. Like they're figuring it out um, in a way that, you know, nowadays, you know, just look it up in your shul- Shulchan We we already know what to do for Megillah, but in this case, Rabbi Chalber of Huna, all of them, they're they're figuring out how does it line up with uh Mishnah and what they know they need to do in terms of hearing Megillah, which is its own mitzvah. I, 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 maybe I'm overstepping here to say, you know. Maybe I'm reading too much to say that it's, it feels no, I to I, me. I think it does. But
0: that's my right now. Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAF and also about our introduction to Masachich Kalim and our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.